Hello, ladies. Good morning. Morning. Good afternoon, whichever one you are. Definitely maybe morning. It's, maybe it's evening for some. <laughs> so, Liz, you've been going back to school. I have. Are we going to talk about school today? We can talk about school. I do want to make a special announcement that it is Suicide Prevention Month. Mm -hmm. So want to make sure we at least have links to, to whatever resources that we can offer. Pay special attention to people, what they're saying, what they're not saying, what they're doing. The number one way to help people is, is to listen and express care and concern. And then we can uh, add some links to some resources to the post, but you know, mental health is a significant issue for everyone. Um, and this little group has some experience with suicides in families. And so I just wanted to make that shout out today. If you remember Julianne Whitelaw, who came in and talked about um, her nonprofit that helps dogs that are um, have serious medical issues, um, she volunteers with the crisis text line, and I'm in the process of going through that training. Um, and so the in order to do that, you would text home to seven four one seven four one. You can also WhatsApp. Um, uh, what's at them as well, uh, but their URL is the, it's crisistextline.org. So I know that one is quite good um, and one that I'm committed to supporting. So just in case anybody needs it. Right. And I just looked up some national information. Uh, you can also call or text 988. Um, and there are other phone lines that will attach, but at least it is easier the more and more automated and, and resource we can be virtually to, to reach out for help. And, and really that's the big message. 46% of individuals who do um, ultimately die by suicide have known mental health struggles. So it is generally known uh, men are four times as likely to be successful in dying by suicide than women. Um, and then there's just a lot of substance use, um, erotic behavior withdrawal to, to be aware of. So just ask, offer a listening ear, offer your care and compassion and, and, and just be sure everyone understands the help that is needed is, is truly very simple. And one of the hardest things that I have ever had to do is ask one of my kids, are you thinking about harming yourself? And I was surprised at how difficult it was to ask that. Does that make sense? Like I have experience with suicide and it was still really hard to ask a person really close to me, are you having thoughts of harming yourself? Yeah, it goes way mm -hmm. deep, way personal, really quickly. And I think the hesitancy sometimes is we're not quite sure what we're going to do if the answer is yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and finding a therapist these days is really hard. Yeah. Especially if you want that traditional in-person experience. It's mm -hmm. really difficult. Mm -hmm. So 
that's feeling the immediacy and then getting help is the key. Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard for all of us who've been through it in some way too, because you want to go, no, 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 you can't, you can't be thinking that we can't be thinking about going through something like that again. Um, and so we need to realize this isn't about us and the struggle of being an ally to someone suffering. Uh, this is how to get someone the help they need as quickly as possible. Right. And to not be, not shame people, right? Because right. For, for me, right, the, the hurt that happened that was ongoing still sticks with me. And so I've got a lot of opinions. <laughs> Um, but to not let that color the interaction uh, with a loved one as you're as you're engaging, because engaging is super important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All very good points. And um, <clears throat> I think what you're touching on, too, is, is the PTSD that we have from having gone through losing somebody that way. And then. Um, the fact that there are certainly um, signifiers, there are trends, right, that, that we can use as a society to help us know when somebody's at risk. And yet, to your point, Kate, we're all on our own. Every human is on their own journey of, you know, joy and suffering and capacity to tolerate pain and suffering. And we just, we can think we know what's going on for someone else and we just can't. We just can't. Yeah. And with my father, there was, there was threats um, over the years to the degree that people stopped listening. And, but it's not always overt, you know, because someone doesn't want attention as they're going through a struggle, you can, you cannot know anything is going on with them. Yeah. So with that promo, I would love to turn to what's it like to be going through school again, Liz? It's really weird, honestly, <laughs> especially because I'm taking these science classes, you know, I'm just finishing anatomy one and anatomy two, and I'm about to start chemistry and microbiology. And my teenagers are taking the same classes. I've asked them and they both said, no, thank you. I've also <laughs> offered them my notes. <laughs> they also said, no, thank you. So why don't you recap a little bit? What are you going back to school for and why? I'm not sure everyone would have that background. Sure. And I think that what might be um, significant for people listening is really that I'm I'm experimenting. And that's a really... Um, it's, it's, I think it should be more what people are, you know, tolerated to do um, when they're in their 50s, which I am. Um, 
but I, it's just, it, it's unusual. But what I'm doing is exploring going to nursing school to be a palliative care nurse. And it would be in combination with some of the skill sets that I've already developed, like being a death doula. Um, but I would like to be a palliative care nurse. And I, I'm seeing that as sort of my career that would take greater shape um, as I get older, um, because, you know, we're all going to exit this planet in one way or another, and hopefully it'll be old age. And um, there is a need for people who can care for the dying. So, um, so right now it's truly just exploring. And um, because in my undergraduate degree, I didn't take any science classes. Okay. So I'm taking the prerequisites that I would need in order to go to nursing school. And it's really, uh, it's a really causing me to have to use all of the um, thought processes and mindsets that I coach my clients to have, mm -hmm. right? So like challenging the narrative, my narrative being, I'm terrible at math and science. I always have been, I always will be. That's just not something that is um, a pursuit that's available mm -hmm. for me. There's quite a bit of math and science in nursing though. <laughs> there is, there is. You're gonna get good at it. <laughs> And, and knock on wood, I'm in my final week. So unless I tank, <laughs> I have two A's. <laughs> and that's the probably the big, whatever happens, right? Again, I don't know if I'm going to go to nursing school. But I know that I can do science now. Yeah. That's the difference. That's the difference between me six weeks ago and me today. Wow. I don't know if you guys know this, but during the pandemic, I think it was like right during the pandemic, I had, um, I took a abnormal psychology class. Um, mm -hmm. Positive psychology was all pulled up, but abnormal was open <laughs> through the San Mateo Community College. <laughs> Um, go go figure um and it is interesting being an adult flexing those muscles that like when you're a young person going through school it's very much like a I have to do these things in order to do this thing so I need to get through it at least that was my take on it right get through it as fast as possible I would bribe myself to study French was my my arch nemesis I would like there was a target trip at the end of an A in that class um and um as an adult and I don't know if you're finding this Liz but there's a lot more joy and curiosity in the process mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no one's like forcing you to do it that's not absolutely the thing. No one is forcing me. And I have said that to myself multiple times. Um, when I get to points where I feel really out of my depth, which is 
typically when it starts to get into things on the cellular level and needing to comprehend uh, chemistry concepts. And I, I've, I've routinely found myself completely lost. And I just have to say, no one's forcing me to do this. And it's okay to not know. It's okay to not know. Just read it again and try not to listen to that voice that comes in that says, you're stupid. <laughs> you can't, you won't get it. Just stop. Yeah. Because no one that starts it knows the information. No one. So really, it's all about mindset. It's all about your story. It's all about, do you walk in or start believing this is important? That if you are curious that you can do this and get through to the other side or, or not? Yeah. Well, and one thing that's truly different about going to school now versus going to school before is we know so much more about adult education. We know that there is more than one way to teach a concept. And we have this World Wide Web here <laughs> that is so extensive. Like when I was, you know, I can't remember where Wikipedia came in, but it was like, well, that's not something that you go to for reference. And now Wikipedia is, is that's a resource, right? Like my kids would cite Wikipedia in their college papers. Um, and I was like, you're not supposed to do that, but you can. Um, so it's, there's, you know, one way is not getting it. You can read it again. You can sneak up on it. You can have a conversation. You can find something else. You can read a different book. Um, you can find a YouTube video on it. Video on it. I mean, that's what I was going to say. You know, experiential learning is so much more successful with adults. Um, mm -hmm. I think even kids, um, you know, get out of the didactic and get into the teams and the experiences and the labs and, you know, go volunteer and shadow and, and intern. And, and so, so Liz is, are you able to learn the biology and the chemistry through those experiences or is it all tough? Um, it is much easier when there's a video that helps me visualize. You're absolutely right. And Google is my best friend. I didn't even know that there's a thing called Google Scholar. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that I use that all the time. Um, a lot of it still is really, you know, above my head. But I just keep reminding myself that I'm not trying to be the smartest nurse. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be. And that goes back to, I think what you were saying earlier is you, you do a thing because you're trying to get to another thing, to another thing, to another thing, right? I don't need to, I don't need to have A's. I don't need to be at the top of the class. I don't, I just need to, uh, my counselor says, figure out what you're trying to get out of that situation and go get it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to have that mindset, but I think the other thing that is I'm finding that's still true, doesn't matter how old I get, I still fall prey to imposter syndrome. I look at everyone else's discussions, you know, it's a big part of class and interacting is 
engaging in discussions, written discussions, where you have to cite your opinions and your references and all of that, right? And you have to move the conversation forward. I read other people's and I immediately think, oh, they're so much smarter than me. It's the oh, same no, narrative. No. They just have more time or they're more detailed or they're more chatty or they right. need more attention. It, it has nothing to do with the ultimate nurse. Or who, or they are smarter and who cares? I know it doesn't matter. But it's not a competition. It's the work. This is the work that I will do as many of my clients do. This is the work that I will do until I excuse myself from the planet. There will always be those voices. And I have to say, okay, we're going to put you over in the sidecar right now. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, let's talk about imposter syndrome a minute. It is just a matter of our big human brain trying to protect ourselves from looking stupid, being unsafe. That's its job. You know, it's not a syndrome. It's not a mental health issue. It's just a natural element of our human nature. Mm -hmm. And you just have to tell it, oh, it's okay. I really will be okay. I will survive this. I really will. Yeah, the um, I started a nonviolent communication class yesterday because um, it's a day, so I'm starting a new class. Um, <laughs> I thought there was a promise are. somewhere. I ended <laughs> my compassionate class hmm. yesterday morning. Congratulations! That's a nine months course, nine month nine, nine month course. Um, and then I started in the afternoon. There was a you know, four hour block where I didn't have class. And then I started. <laughs> no, but the, um, the thing that struck me about that class is, is, um, and for me, it is sitting in a class. Like I have to sit in a class in order to really grok it. I've read a bunch of, I've read two books on nonviolent communication, but I'm still not quite wrapping my head around it. And that little voice, it needs something. It has a need. It needs to feel secure. It needs to feel loved. It needs to feel right. It, it feels a risk. It feels mm -hmm. risk. And so what does it need? What does it need to feel better about what we're doing? Hey, I hear you. You're scared. We can talk to that part of ourselves. So you're scared. And I get it. You are smart enough. And it's not a competition with this other person. Mm -hmm. let's go learn from them mm -hmm. let's get curious and get excited mm -hmm. yeah that's the point you're both making that I think is so hard about um navigating imposter syndrome is that instead of trying to just shut that voice off you're both ad advising to befriend it it's not going anywhere <laughs> Just as you would if you were taking one of your kids to kindergarten for the first time. Mm -hmm. Scary. Yeah. Compassion with, with that little voice who's scared, who doesn't know, doesn't like to be compared, who has avoided being in a situation where it could get examined. What if it finds out it is stupid? Oh, geez. Scary. It is. You're right. You're right. 
Anyway, so onward with my experiment. And I have to be just in a place of not knowing what this is going to turn into other than I can do the science. You can do the science. That's huge. There's a, a book um, about, uh, I think it's called Beginners or Beginnings or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, Gwen, I'll get you the link so we can post it. Um, my husband read it. Um, and so by proxy, I have. Um, and it is all about like in your retirement, how you go about continuously learning. Um, you're not going to be good at like Tom wants to surf. He's 57 years old. Um, he's not going to be on the world tour <laughs> that he goes to learn to surf. Right. Um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's uh, continuing to, to do things that we're not good at and to enjoy the process versus the, I'm doing this for an end. That's not what it becomes anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet it's so hard when we are adults and we have found a few things in life, at least we are good at and that we excel at to put a pause on that stuff and go back to that beginner stage of something. Gosh, that's awkward. It is. It's so cringy. Cringy. (laughs) Cringy. That's I feel like that's a teenage word, but, um, but we, we have one life, right? And so I feel like I'm just getting started in this next chapter. And I'm, I'm certainly daunted at times, but I'm going to keep moving forward. And I'm going to remember that all those other things in, in my past that I have figured out and, and learned to be somewhat, you know, successful enough at, that propels me forward um I have I have two built-in voices that help with my imposter syndrome that perpetuate it and the second one is my middle kid who when she found out I was going to potentially go to nursing school she's like you you like you would be in charge of people's lives mom you can't even add that's what your phone is for I know that's what I said (laughs) I said that and she said okay that I'm going to start asking people where they went to school if I'm in the emergency room and I said honey here's the thing the population that I would work with they're already dying (laughs) so I don't think you have to worry about me you know being in the emergency room with someone your age but that's so funny she would would be um very scared to know how many brand new nurses and doctors are in the emergency room with her yeah brand new baby doctors Mm -hmm. brand new baby nurses because there's a nursing crisis and they are opting out (laughs) so a whole new crop coming Absolutely. And that second year medical school students start to see patients. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Anyway. You didn't so know. so <laughs> the voices that you're hearing, including your middle, are just not informed mm-hmm. about how life really works. Mm-hmm. 
And your role as a palliative care nurse would be to help people live a thriving life for as long as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you got well, that. You've got that in spades. It's so much more than needing to add. It's so much more than that as the experience. Mm-hmm. If we had physicians who listened our care would be so much better. Amen. And I don't have to be a nurse to help dying people, but I'm exploring whether that might be the right niche. But regardless, I know that I will help people who are in the last stage of their life. And yay you. You are being so brave. So brave. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I, I don't think I would have had the courage without the influence of the two of you to start this experiment. So thank you both. You're very welcome. Anything else for today? That was big. Yeah, there's mine. Let's approach it with it. All yeah, right. Mine. You go rock those classes, Liz. <laughs> I think I'm dissecting an oxalotl again today, so. <laughs> nice. Hmm? Sounds scary, but <laughs> you've got it, right? i got this. All right. See you. Bye. Bye.